Welcome to the sermons and teachings from the Catalyst Fellowship with Ipai Michael. We hope the message you're about to listen to will edify you and cause you to experience exponential growth. And now, the message. Praise Jesus. All right, very quickly, we're going to jump into the Word of God. Open your Bibles with me, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. Are you all there? There? Ephesians 4, 11. All right, we're going to read together. Are you ready? All right, read with me. One, two, go. Some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Well, he says he himself gave some to be apostles. Who is speaking? Who? Timothy? Paul. So who is he speaking to? The church in Ephesus. Okay, that's good. So the apostle Paul is speaking to the church in Ephesus. And he says, and he himself gave. Who is the he? How do you know it's Christ? How do you know it's God? What if he's talking about another person? Well, there's a law of Bible interpretation which we call what the law of context. And what is the law of context? That to understand any text of scripture, you must read the pretext and the posttext to get the context. Does that make sense? So, if we want to understand who he is here, we have to read Ephesians chapter 4 from verse 9. Actually, most times you have to read the whole chapter. Sometimes you would not get it if you read the whole chapter. You have to read the whole book. So, we always say that to understand the text of scripture, you must read the verse of scripture with respect to the, in the context of the chapter, the chapter in the context of the whole book, and the whole book in the context of the whole Bible. Amen? Does that make sense? Alright, so, let's read Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 9. Are you ready? Are you ready to read? Alright, let's read together. One, two, go. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean for that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? So he's saying he ascended. But for him to have ascended, he must first have descended. What is he talking about here? Well, he's talking about the descent of Christ in the incarnation. God became a becoming man or God became man in the incarnation. Does that make sense? So he descended to the lower parts of the earth rather. But after that, he also ascended. Does that make sense? Then the next verse says what? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So who ascended? Christ. Because he first descended. And he ascended. What does it mean to fill all things? I've explained this to you before in the past. That we are the fullness of him who fills the earth. Meaning that when he came to this earth, he came to bring other people into his kingdom. Amen? And then we become the expression of his authority on this earth. Does that make sense? So he replicated himself on this earth. So he says, he who descended is the same who ascended. Far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Next verse. Let's read together. I want to go. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Now, this text sort of looks as though 
God is sharing the gift of pastoring to me. But you would misunderstand this text if you read it that way. The Old Testament was written originally in what language? In Hebrew and Aramaic. The New Testament was written in what? In Greek. Meaning that if we're going to understand the text of Scripture, translations have happened. Are you seeing what I'm saying? So sometimes meaning can be obscured. Does this make sense? Alright, there's a 12-part series on how to interpret the Bible where I've taught all of this I'm doing. I'm just using that to sort of interpret so you understand it. Is it clear? Alright. So, now, it says, he himself gave some to be apostles. Well, if you check the word some here, the Greek word there is men, M-E-N. And men means truly in the Greek. Are you getting what I'm saying? So now, if you're going to read this text, you're going to read it as he himself gave truly apostles. Are you seeing what I'm saying? Now, the meaning is going to change. Because if you read it as he gave some to the apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, you're thinking, oh, God gave Rotha the gift of being a pastor. God gave, you know, Simi the, the gift of being a prophet. But if you read it in the true original manuscripts, the way it was given to us, it, it will be, and he gave truly apostles, truly prophets, truly evangelists, truly pastors and teachers. What's the difference between the two? The first one seems to imply that he gave some people the gift to be prophets. The second seems to imply that the men he gave are the gifts. Does that make sense? Let's look at it again. And he gave some to be apostles. Looked as if he gave some people the gift of apostleship. But if you read it in the actual way it was rendered, he gave truly prophets. Truly apostles, truly prophets, truly evangelists, and pastors and teachers. Let's read it from 10 again. Go understand what I'm saying. And he who descended is the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Next verse. And he himself gave apostles. Remember, this is true. He gave apostles. He gave prophets. He gave evangelists. He gave pastors and teachers. So the men are the gifts. God gave men as gifts to men. Are you getting what I'm saying? He gave you people as gifts. For what reason? Next verse, read together verse 12, everybody. Are you there? Media. Alright, let's read together. One to go. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Does this make sense now? So he gave you men. Those men are called ministry gifts. Who are ministry gifts? The apostle, the prophet, the pastor, the teacher, the evangelist. For what reason? He says for the equipping of the saints. Are you seeing this now? He gave men as gifts to men. Does this make sense? Christ gave what? Say men are God's gifts to men. Say men are God's gifts to men. He says for the equipping of the saints. The King James Version will say for the furnishing. I've given you an example of that before, right? Where I use the analogy of of the wood, something like this. This was not originally how it came. It was a tree, right? But for it to become like this, work was done on it. That work is what it means there by equipping, perfecting. Are you seeing what I'm saying? King James Version will say for the furnishing of the saints. You've rented an apartment before empty. How many of you have rented an empty apartment before? Was it habitable? 
Or was it a house? <laughs> you, it, it was, but you needed to do a furnishing for it to become effective. He says, Christ gave gifts to you. For what purpose? For the equipping of the saints. So yes, you are saved, but there must be an equipping. Is this making sense to you? Yes, you are saved, but there must be equipping. This is for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. This is for the edifying of the body of Christ. What's the Greek word edifying? Oikodomio. <laughs> All right. So, oikodomio. What does it mean? It, says, it means for the building up. It's a construction term that implies laying bricks upon brick. That's why he gave you pastor. This is the purpose of pastor. This is the purpose of teacher. It says for the building up of the body of Christ. Next verse. Can you read together, everybody? Want to go? Till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of fullness of Christ. So there's an expectation for the believer. Is this making sense? There's an expectation. He says, till we all come to the unity of the faith. Unity of the faith here is that till we all come to that unity in teaching, in the, in the doctrines of Jesus. When a lot of people read this, you know, what they interpret is unity in spite of faith. That is, oh, let's all be united no matter what we are teaching. No. What it actually means is unanimity, that we teach the same thing. Which is, whose doctrine is the right doctrine? Christ's doctrine. Same things we receive from Christ, we pass down. It says, till we come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. To a perfect man, to the measure of the, you know, King James Version says, till you come to a mature Christian, till you come to maturity. And I've taught you before, I said there's a direction when you get saved and it's upward. It's growth. Amen. It's not enough that you are saved. Even though being saved is okay to take you to heaven, but you must grow. Are you listening to me? Please, are you learning something? Are you learning something? The ultimate goal and plan of God is that we come to the unity of the faith. That we speak the same thing. Sound doctrine. Let's see a ministry gift's perspective. Well, who is a ministry gift? Pastors, the prophets, evangelists, because they are God's gift to men. Are you getting this? Alright. Let's see a ministry gives perspective to this. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21. Well, I've read this text to you over and over again and I'll read it to you a million times again. But let's see Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21. Alright. Are we ready to read? Alright. Let's read together Philippians 1 21. 1, 2, go. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Next verse. But if I live on in the flesh, this would mean fruit for my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. Who is speaking? To who? In, in Philippi. Okay, Philippi. All right. You know, there's a place. So when you study Acts, you see that they mention a place called Caesarea Philippi. Right? So the church that was planted here is the church in Philippi. Does that make sense? So the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to them. And he says... But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor. He says, but yet, what I shall choose, I cannot tell. Next verse. He says, I'm hard-pressed between two. Having a desire to depart and be with Christ. He was talking about death. He says, which is far better. Next verse. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh 
is more needful for who? For you, for the church in Philippi, and by extension, for you. This is a pastor, this is a ministry gift. He says, I have two options. The first is to go and be with Christ, which is good, which is far better. He was talking about dying and just, you know, going to be with Christ. He says, the second is remaining in the flesh. But he says that I have chosen one. He says, he says the one that me staying here is beneficial for who? For the church. Are you seeing the benefit of a ministry gift in the life of the people? He says, there's a benefit you would experience if I stay. Next verse. I want you to read this together. I want to go. I know that I shall remain and continue you all for your progress. Does that make sense? So now a ministry gift is saying, being confident that my staying with you is needful for you. I will continue with you all. For your what? Greek word what? Prokope. Advancement for your progress and joy in the faith. It means that the expected outcome of a pastor or any ministry gift continuing with you is what? Progress. And what? Joy. Does this make sense to you? Well, this is why we go to church. Amen? As important as the communal gathering is and the social, you know, everything we do, beyond that, it is for growth that you experience progress and joy in your faith. Amen? The things of the Spirit might have been hard and dutiful for you before, but when you are well pastored, listen, I've said this time and time again, that you don't know your true capacity until you've been well pastored. Are you listening to me? You don't know what? Your true capacity until you've been well pastored. The Apostle Paul had a curriculum mindset. What's a curriculum mindset? He's saying, if I stay with you, even if it's three months, you must grow. Are you getting this? You must what? How many of you can relate to what I'm teaching? That. You just joined a place and three months seen results. That's the expectation of the local church, of any church of Christ. That when you become a part of a church, you can have a track record of progress. Amen. A track record of what? Progress. You know, I've said it before. I said, if you go somewhere, join a church, and everything they teach you are it, it resonates with you you agree with it you are comfortable with yourself chances are that you're not in the right place because a good church would instruct and correct you are you getting what i'm saying so there must be a track record of growth at the end of one year can you have to be able to look at yourself and say there's been significant impact in my life Please, are you getting this there's been what significant this is why you have pastors amen this is why you have what pastor I want to say some more things but <laughs> I have a lot more to teach why you have pastors they are not figureheads you know we grew up being scared of our pastors but that's not the bible but the bible says that you would experience fortrance so there must be a track record maybe we went out yesterday None. One. No. We we're, we we're supposed to evangelize yesterday. Five people. At least. How many people went down? That's why, that's what I, that's why I'm here to teach us. 
was supposed to gather everybody and say, you know, the best do. I said, you know what? If we're going to do 1,000 souls so much, we're going to evangelize to 1,000 souls in the well. Everybody's going to have to learn responsibility. So I remember when I was telling people to go out on Thursday, a part of me was like, hey, check. Check. And take it as a test, but you need to hear what I'm teaching today. Especially for the reason that you didn't go out. So let's look at God. God is holy. Number two, what does it mean for God to call another thing holy? And number three, what is our response to the holiness of God? Listen, the reason why I want to focus on the holiness of God is for you to know who you are and your purpose Well, you must know who God is who created you. Does this make sense? You must understand why he created you. Hallelujah. Amen. You know, from scriptures, there's something theologians call attributes of God. Attributes of God. What are attributes of God? Attributes of God are ways that we know who God is. Things that we can discern about God that tell us about God. One of those attributes is God is love, right? God is love. John 3, 16, what does the Bible say? For God so loved the world that he gave what? His only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not what? Perish but have what? Everlasting life. Amen? God is love. Another way, another place we see that in scriptures is 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. What does he say? By this we know love because he laid down his life for us. We ought also to lay down our lives for, his, for our brethren. So, God showed love to the world. So we know that one of its attributes is what? Love. Does this make sense? Another one is 1 John chapter 4 verse 8. The Bible says, He who does not love does not know God. For God is love. Amen. So, one attribute of God is that what? Number one. Alright. Number two, God is merciful. Well, this is consistent. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4. The Bible says, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love which he loved us even when we were dead in trespasses made us alive together with Christ. It says by grace you are saved. Does that make sense? God is merciful. Titus chapter 3 verse 5. Titus chapter 3 verse 5. Are we there? What does the Bible say? One, two, go. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to what? He saved us. So, we know that God is merciful because he saved us. Is this clear? So, number one is what? Number two is what? Number three, God is holy. This is another common attribute of God that we see in scriptures. And of all the attributes we see in scriptures, this one uniquely identifies God. God is holy. What does it mean to be holy? To be set apart. I taught you this on Thursday. To be set apart. To be revered. To be divine. What does it mean that God is holy? Well, it refers to that separateness of God. That orderness of God. The fact that God is unlike any being is what it means that God is holy. Have you thought of that before? Why do we say God is holy? When you think about holiness, what do you think about? moral standards, right? But I taught you the other day that you understand text in scriptures not by dictionary definition, but by how the Bible uses it. Amen. So, God is holy. He's not even, he's not even first about moral. He's first about the separateness of God. The orderness of God. The fact that God is like no other being in the world. He's infinitely perfect. Are you see what I'm saying? 
it's almost like you're looking for a word to characterize who God is. The only thing that can just say it is that you are, you are holy, you are separate. You are transcendent. Amen. You are different. So you get what I'm saying? You know, the Bible talks about it in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 2. It says, no one is holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is none like our God. Leviticus 20, 26. It says, and you shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and have separated you from the people. So are you getting this? The Hebrew word holy there is Kodesh. I'll spell that for you, for those of you writing. You, you. Are you writing that? Shall I spell it? Do I have the right spelling? Okay. Q-U-O-D-E-S-H. And that's the noun form. And the verb form is Q-U-A-D-A-S-H. Is that clear? So the first is Kodesh. The second is Kodesh. So I'll show you a few places that both words were used. But I'll show you a few other places that says that God is holy. In Exodus chapter 15 verse 6. Moses and people of Israel sang about God. They said, your right hand, O God, has become glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, have dashed the enemies in pieces. And in the greatness of your excellence, you've overthrown those who rose against you. You sent forth your wrath and it consumed them like stubble. So, they're talking about how great God is. Are you seeing this? How separate, how unique he is. God is transcendent. He's different. He's in a class of his own. Are you getting this? is unique and that's the idea of God being holy it's connected to his role as creator and author of life itself is this making sense to everybody it's the source of all purity it's the standard of everything God is holy he's endlessly and always perfect let me give you a visual representation one thing that clearly defines or describes God as holy is the sun. A good analogy is the sun. The sun is a class of its own. You know that, right? Think about it. What can come close to the sun? You have to be as hot as it not to be consumed. Are you getting what I'm saying? It's unique. So think about that with God. And that's why sin is a problem with God. Because he is infinitely perfect. There is no, it's almost like, he's like, you know, the Bible describes him as an unapproachable light. Are you getting this? So when anything with wrinkles or spots comes close, it's not because God wants to punish that thing that it is punished. It's because that thing can't stand. Are you seeing that? That perfectness of God. That moral difference of God. Are you getting it now? Are you seeing why moral standards come under God now? Because he's perfect. He's perfect. He's perfect. He's different. He's in a different standard of his own. Are you all getting this? Remember what we're doing. We're considering God. So we can know what to do about his creation. We can know the purpose of his creation. We can know how to live as his creation. We can know how to act as his creation. Is everybody getting this? This is why the Old Testament was written the way it was written. The whole book of Leviticus was to teach them about the holiness of God. That was why they had to wash and clean to do different things. You know, before the priest could go into the temple, he would have to wash himself with the blood of a lamb. 
The Bible was teaching them that as an unclean man, you can't come before a holy God. Are you seeing this? That's why they had many rituals they had to perform. Or they could go be with God. That's why they had to separate certain unto God. That's why they had to separate the utensils unto God. They were learning that God is different. He's separate. He's holy. Please, are you following everyone? If God is this holy, how can man measure up? Think about it. How do we measure up? How? Anybody has an answer? Jesus? <laughs> how do we measure up? I mean, that's, that's a correct answer, but how do you get there? Would you not just appear and say, hey, okay, come. Because the only way to measure up to the standard of God is for you to be accrued the same standard. Do you get what I'm saying? If nothing unclean can come close to God, well, you then have to be clean for you to come close to God. Does this make sense? That's why sin was a problem in the first place. If God is holy, separate, unique, how can nothing or anything that has not been called holy come close to God? Let's take a broader look at that study we did on Thursday. The first place that the word holy was used in the Bible was where? Exodus what? 13, 2. No, okay, no, not 13, 2 actually. 3, 12 was the first place. Let's quickly read that. It's actually 3, 4. It started from 4. Alright, I'll read that to you very quickly. What does it say? Is it on the screen? Okay, let's read together. One, two, go. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, are you reading with me, everybody? All right, let's read together from, and he said, one, two, go. Next verse, one, two, go. Because the ground is what? Holy ground. I asked you this question on Thursday. What did the ground do to be holy? The ground can't do anything to be holy. The reason why it was called holy was because God was there. Are you seeing this? So the attribute of God is sort of put on something that is consecrated for his use. Are you getting what I'm teaching you? Let's look at the next place. Exodus chapter 12 verse 16. Exodus chapter 12 verse 16. One, two, go. What did the convocation do to be holy? Nothing. So why was it called holy? Same reason. Because what? Because it was set apart for God. Are you guys getting what I'm teaching? Is this making sense to you? You see other texts in Exodus chapter 15 verse 13, Exodus chapter 28 verse 2, they all say the same thing. Why were priests called holy? Is it because the priests were morally upright? Why? Because they were what? Set apart for God's word. So we learned in Thursday service that Holiness is not necessarily about what we can do. But about what God has done. 
Because by all standard of it, no man can measure to the holy standard of God. Is this making sense? No one can measure up. That's why Jesus had to die. There was nothing we could do to measure up to that standard. God has made us holy. Does this make sense? That's why Ephesians chapter 1, he says, Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has done what? Blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. He says he has chosen us before the foundations of the world to be holy. So God chose you to be holy. Are you seeing that? On Thursday, my emphasis was that if God chose you to be holy, it is either God's standard reduces to meet your standard or your standard increases to meet God's holy standard. And that's why sin cannot continue in the believer. Amen. Because even though God has chosen you to be holy because you had faith in the death of his son, you can't continue in the way you were living. Are you getting this? Because if the holiness of God hits a man, something must give way. Either the holiness of God drops or your inadequacies drop. Is this clear? Something must give. And what do you think will give between the holiness of God and your inadequacies? Your inadequacies. Are you getting this? Your inadequacies must fall. But that's not the end of it. Because on Thursday, even though I emphasize to you your response, there's another side to it. Everything that God consecrated to be holy is jealous over. Because it is set apart for his use. Do you understand what I'm teaching you? It is set apart for what? For his use. 2 Chronicles chapter 23, verse 6. The Bible says, Let no one come into the house of the Lord except the priests and those who are of the Levites who serve. They may go in for they are holy. What does it mean that they are holy? They are set apart for God's use. Are you getting this? They are set apart for what? For God's use. Exodus chapter 19, verse 5. He says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. What does that mean? Are you getting it? They're a nation set apart unto God. That was why God was jealous and angry when they started worshipping other gods. Why did God choose Israel? He chose them as the nation through which he would bring his Christ. Are you getting what I'm saying? And that's why it was important that the Messiah was from the line of Judah because God made a promise to Abraham and to his descendants. He says, in you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. So God chose them as that special. That was why God was committed to them. Are you seeing it? And God wanted commitment from them. Are you seeing a pattern? Anything that is consecrated unto God must be used for God's purpose. Getting it. Anything that is consecrated to God must be used for what? If God calls something holy, it means it is set apart to Him. That does not exclude humans. Because if Ephesians chapter 1 says, You've been chosen to be holy and blameless. It does not just mean that God has taken your sins away. It also means that you are set apart for his use. Are you getting it? You're set apart for what? For his use. Do you remember when the temple utensils were taken and they were used to eat? What happened? God judged the people. Why? Anything set apart for God must be used for God. 
Are you getting this? Is this changing your mindset about yourself? Are you holy? Are you holy? Why are you holy? Because God has chosen you to be holy. Not by anything you can do, but by what he has done. Amen? How did you achieve that? Well, Christ died for your sins. He washed your sins. Present, past, and future. He says if, only, he says if any man believes, he will be saved. Do you believe? Are you saved? So are you holy? Then this applies to you. Because even though holiness gets you to that place with God of access, it's not only about that. Holiness also bets consecration. What did I say? Holiness bets consecration. And that brings me to the third point of three points I gave you. The response of everything God calls holy is consecration. Because anything holy is set apart unto God. The response is consecration. That's why the life give is no longer yours. It's for who? For God. For he who died for you rose again. Is are you learning something? this enters your ears and you are not just receiving one part. Is this making sense to you? You know, he gave them the Shema, the children of Israel. He says, you shall have no other God but me. That, that's, that's consecration. Are you getting what I'm saying? That's consecration. You are called a holy nation for a purpose. First, first Peter chapter 2 verse 9, you've said it many times. I'm a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Well, being a holy nation means that you will live for God who died for you. Does that make sense? I hope everybody's following me. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 13. It should be my point of emphasis as I begin to round up. Second Corinthians 5:13. I want everyone to pay attention here. Have you understood what I've taught you so far? 2 Corinthians 5.13, we're going to read. Are you ready, everybody? Alright, pay attention to this. One, two, go. If you were doing your personal Bible study, what would you do here? Well, because you want to know who is speaking. Who is speaking? Who is he speaking about? Who is he speaking to? Church in Corinth. Who is he speaking about? When he says we are beside ourselves. Okay, so when you are doing your personal Bible study, figure it out. I'll tell you who he's speaking about now. Is that fine? Because of time. Okay. He's talking about himself and the apostles. He says if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are of a sound mind, it is for you. Who is the you there? The church. Next verse. Please pay attention. One, two, go. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge that if one died for all, then all die. It says the love of God, of Christ does what? Compels us. It causes us to move. It causes us to act. It controls us because we've judged that if one died for all, then what? All die. Next verse. What is he talking about when he says if, all, if one died for all, all died? 
If Christ died for all, then all died. Meaning this, the life we were living before was tending to death. Please, are you getting what I'm saying? He was tending to death. All man, the Bible says the wages of sin is what? Is death. All of mankind was tending to death. But it says one died for all. Meaning before God, when Jesus died, it is seen as everybody died because Jesus became our representative to take our sins. Amen. He's our substitute. Are you seeing what God is doing to bring holiness to you? He's our substitute. He said, you know what? These guys can't match up to my holy standards. So what am I going to do? I'm going to pay the price of their sin. I'm going to make them clean just as I am. I want to impute holiness in them because they can't do anything to match up to that holy standard. The reason why they are not working out, they should work is because there's a mechanism at work them to sin. Are you getting what I'm saying? Even before we knew it, we were sinners. Are you getting this? They did not know. But he said, you know what? It is only fitting that if by one man sin came into the whole world, only by that, it's only fitting that by one man also righteousness will come upon the whole world. Are you getting this? So he says, you know what? Jesus is going to die. But before me, when I look at it, Jesus is going to die for all of their sins. He's going to be a substitute. Theologians call that penal substitution. And so when Jesus died, he took upon the sins of the world. He says, if one died, then all died. Now read verse 15, one to go, everybody. And he died for all, that they who live should no longer live for themselves. Please, are you getting this? The life you had before was tending to death. Does this make sense? He says, but he died for all. That they which live should no longer live for themselves. Meaning the life you have now is the life of Christ. Are you getting it? The life you live now is what? The life of Christ. He says that they which live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. See, the life I live is not my own, but for Christ who died for me and rose again. So the message about salvation does not, start, does not stop at salvation. It continues into consecration. You know what consecration means, right? Being, it's the same as being holy, being sanctified, being set apart. So yes, you were saved. And your sins were taken away. But it did not end there. You must now live for him who died for you and rose again. This is, this is how a man of the spirit must live. This is how a man of the spirit must function. That the life I live is not mine. There are examples of men who lived this way. The moment they were anointed, the moment the spirit of God came into them, started to live differently. They responded in consecration. Can God say about you like he said about Abraham? Know him. He will command his children after him. The Lord told Abraham one day, he said, stand up. I'm taking you to a land that you don't know. That's consecration. That you trust God with everything you have. So Abraham left. You know what it means to leave your house without knowing where you are going? That's full-on trust in God. That the life I live now for you, sir. How the apostles died. They died. Do you know what it meant for fishermen to meet Jesus? You know, Peter denied Jesus. I mean, at least Peter was there. Where the rest? So, 
these were men of little faith. But the men, they saw the risen Christ. They never changed their account again. James was thrown over a pinnacle of about a hundred thousand feet. When he got there, he did not die, he put him to death. Peter was put on a cross. He didn't want to die like his master, so they made it an X-shaped cross. Nathaniel was flogged to death. Andrew, X-shaped cross as well. Thomas was stabbed with a spear in India. Jude was killed with arrows for not denying. Matthias was stoned to death and beheaded. Paul was beheaded and spent many years in prison. Almost all these letters were from prison. <laughs> you are laughing. But think about yourself as well. Just think about the fact that this, what did these guys know that did not make them recant their testimony even in the face of persecution? Is that you get what I'm saying? What did they know? Why was this their response? Hallelujah. John died normally. He was the only disciple that died in normal death. But before that, they threw to hot boiling oil. What did they know has made them stay? It is because when holiness is imputed into you, when you meet Jesus, you can't remain the same. The response must be consecration. Now I live my life for Christ. Amen. Not just about being comfortable. Are you following me? God is jealous about things he has called holy. He's jealous about the things he has separated. He wants those things to be for his glory. The Bible says that you should present your body, living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. See the word holy? Living sacrifices separated unto God. This be your testimony. You know, I was listening to something this morning. The person said, The holiness of God is beyond just separation from sin. Sin is not a problem when it comes to the holiness of God. Because the holiness of God can, can blot out sin and you never see it again. And so one way that that will be very evident is that don't think of holiness as just being something that sets you apart from sin. No, it's beyond that. It's beyond that. Because if you're truly holy, well, you will want to go into the dark places and call people out of light. The holiness of, of God is something that can talk, you know, I was teaching about it on Thursday. How that, when it comes to the holiness of God, when it meets you, your your darkness does not change it. It changes you. Just like Isaiah. God touched his mouth. An angel touched his mouth. The angel did not become impure. Isaiah became clean. The woman with the issue of blood touched Jesus. Jesus did not become impure. The woman became pure. And you get what I'm saying? So the holiness of God must cause you to move in the direction of God. The focus is not always sin, sin, sin. It is impossible for a person to come in contact with the holiness of God and remain the same. Are you listening to me? Only if truly 
did not. And that's why something must change in your response. Something has to change. Your life has to be different. Because where some people are not doing anything, there are many people who are answering the call. The call of God on their lives. Being set up, they know that salvation is not just about being saved from sin, but being set apart onto an assignment. So when you hit the call, it's not enough to sing, Jesus, call my name, I will answer a bit. You are not answering. Will you heed the call of God? Will you give yourself holy and acceptable unto God? Which is what your devotion should be. Will that be your reality? Say, Lord, I respond to your call. I respond to your holiness. I respond to you being the God and the source of my life. And I lead a purposeful life henceforth. Can you begin to pray wherever you are?